We are still in chapter 6, Mishnah number 6. These are the famed 48 ways to wisdom. And we're up to way number 14, Bimikra with scripture. One of the ways to wisdom is with Mikra with scripture. So what is scripture? First, we know that the canon, the biblical canon, is comprised of 24 books. This is known, of course, as the Tanakh, the Torah, Nevi'im, and Suvim, the five books of the Torah, the Chumash, the Pentateuch, for our German friends. You have the eight works of the prophets, the earlier and the later prophets, and then you have the 11 books of the Suvim of the writings. These books were canonized, of course, by the men of the Great Assembly. You have 24 books of our scripture, no more, no less. And the study of these books is a way to wisdom. Now, what exactly does it mean to study scripture? In the world at large, there is an emphasis on rote memorization of scripture. To read and cite chapter and verse, that is not our way. In fact, you could even make the case that there is no element of our spiritual and religious life that is supposed to be some sort of rote, habitual behavior that's bereft of any depth. In everything, we try to find the depth and to live a more sophisticated life and not to be shallow or superficial about everything. And when it says to study Mikra, and that's a way to wisdom, it definitely does not mean to just read the words mindlessly. It means to study and plumb the infinite depth of the Word of God. Now, it's important to note that although the 24 books are all written with prophecy, there is an important distinction between the first five books, the five books of the Torah, and all the other works, and that is that the the level of Moshe and his prophecy, the Mosaic prophecy, is the literal word of God, and thus all words in all five Books of Moshe are all the literal word of God. Not to mean that the understanding is supposed to be literal, but the actual words is the word of God. Whereas the rest of the prophets and the writings, that is done with various levels of prophecy, and it's inspired by God, but ultimately the actual words are going to be codified by the prophet who's authoring said work. This is why the Talmud tells us that every prophet has their own style. And the reason is even though the message may be divine, the message is divine if it's a real prophet, but the articulation of the message is filtered through the prophet, and thus there is some sort of influence of the prophet themselves that is featured in the words. Now, what exactly does it mean with Scripture? So, what we'll discover is that there's no notion of study of the Torah, Mikra, Scripture, without depth. 
So, for example, the Talmud tells us the book of Kiddushin that a person should study a variety of themes. Of course, Torah study is paramount. It's the most important thing of all, right, to, to study Torah. But what exactly should you orient your study around? Says the Talmud, you should divide it into three, a third of Mikra, Scripture, a third of Mishnah, and a third of Talmud. The Talmud divides up all of learning into, into three. You have Mikra, Scripture, Mishnah, which is the Mishnah, which is the laws of the Oral Torah, and a third is Talmud. And you should divide up your years says the Talmud. But of course, there's a problem. Even though we have a concept of life expectancy, we don't actually know how long we're going to live. Some people live very long lives, over 100, over 110 even. And some people live tragically short lives. So if I have to divide up my learning years, a third Mikra, a third Mishnah, a third Talmud, how do I know how long I will live? Says the Talmud, no, it means every day. So there's a dispute. Rashi says that you divide up the week, two days for Mikra, two days for Mishnah, and two days for Talmud. And the Tosafos says something very interesting. It doesn't mean that you divide up the week. It means that every day you should have a portion of your study should be Mikra, scripture, and a portion should be Mishnah, the laws of the Oral Torah, and a third should be Talmud, which is, of course, the details of the law. And then the Tosfos says something very fascinating. He says, if you come to our academies, this is written, you know, 800 years ago, you come to our academies and they don't follow this rule. The Talmud says you should divide up your study into a third, a third, a third, a third scripture, a third mission, a third Talmud. And in our academies, all we study is Talmud. How come we don't follow the rules in the Talmud to study a third, a third, a third? Instead, we just study Talmud. And this, by the way, is still true today. If you have ever had the great privilege of visiting or studying in a Talmudical academy, it is called a Talmudical academy because that's what they study. They study Talmud. What about this rule? featured in the Talmud itself. In the book of Kiddushin, that says you have to divide up into thirds, a third scripture, a third Mishnah, and a third Talmud. Says the Tosvos, the reason why is because we study the Babylonian Talmud. And the word Babylonian, just like the word Babel, it means a mixture. It means a mishmash. In Hebrew, the Tower of Babel, of course, we know. The Almighty mixes up all the people in all the languages. The word Bavel, even in Hebrew, means to mix. Why is it called the Babylonian Talmud, Talmud Bavli? Of course, because it was written in Babylon. But on a homiletical level, it's because the Babylonian Talmud is a mixture. It incorporates scripture, Mishnah, and Talmud in one work. And therefore, when we study Talmud, we're actually also studying Mishnah and also studying Mikra, Scripture. Now, this is very germane to our subject, 
Of course, the Tosfos is talking about the study of Talmud. But it tells us that when we're studying Talmud, every element of Talmud study can be traced back to its root in the written Torah, in Scripture. And even though we're studying some very advanced subject that seems to be very distant from the core, the root, the origin, the source in the literature, the written literature of the written Torah, nevertheless, this is the study of Mikra. This is the study of Scripture. Now, what's remarkable about this is that you have entire books of Talmud that are oriented around one or two or a couple of verses in the Torah. And you could have in the yeshiva schedule, very legitimately, you could dedicate an entire year studying 10 plus hours a day, not just twiddling your thumbs and scrolling on your phone, but legitimately studying 10 hours a day for a year and not finish the book of Talmud that is ultimately rooted in one verse in Scripture. So what this tells us is that when we study Scripture, we're really trying to understand it as deeply and as comprehensively as we possibly can. And the way to do that is via the study of the Talmud that's oriented on that verse. And of course, this should banish any notion that the study of Scripture should be just, you know, lazing about, kicking up my feet, and let's peruse some Scripture. Now, of course, we know this is a subject that we've talked about many times in the past, that you cannot really study written Torah without the accompanying oral Torah and understand anything. The Torah tells us, we just read it recently, that if you do work on Shabbos, you get put to death. The Torah takes violation of Shabbos law very seriously. It's a capital offense. But what exactly constitutes work that's not featured in the written Torah? Of course, it is featured in the oral Torah. But without an oral Torah, you cannot use the written Torah, you cannot use this and implement it and follow the rules, adhere to the rules and the regulations to be in compliance with the word of God. It's not possible absent an oral Torah. Four times we're told to wear tota foe between our eyes. Well, what's that? It's the tefillin. Well, how do you know that? How do you know it's supposed to be black boxes, four compartments, the one in the head has four compartments. The one in the arm has only one compartment. And what citations, what scrolls, what excerpts from the Torah are featured in those compartments? You don't know unless you have the oral Torah. On the festival of Sukkot, you take for yourself a beautiful fruit. Well, what's that? There are a lot of candidates and of course, we know it's the Esrod, it's the Citron. How do we know that? Thanks to the Oral Torah. So the Mikra, the scripture alone, is not useful. It's not implementable. You cannot deploy 
the knowledge alone outside of the oral Torah. And thus, when we talk about Mikra, this way to wisdom, way number 14, with scripture, it means to study the written Torah through the lenses of the oral Torah. But when we study the oral Torah, ultimately, we have to recognize that it is all traced back to Scripture. And even the secrets and the deepest meanings that are revealed in the oral Torah, all that is ultimately found in the written Torah as well, in an encrypted fashion. It's well known that the Gon of Vilna, who knew all of Torah, written, non-written, hidden, everything was on his fingertips. Towards the end of his life, he would study exclusively with a Torah scroll. And he would read scripture. But he would incorporate in the study of the, of the verse in scripture, all of the oral Torah and every aspect of the oral Torah that orients around that verse. Of course, that's the real way to study scripture, to study it with all its nuance and subtleties and depth and the complete panoply of divine wisdom to the best of our ability that is featured in every word and every letter and every jot and tittle. The Talmud tells us that Moshe, when he went to heaven to get the Torah, he sees the money tying crownlets above the letters. Why do you need to do that? Well, because even the crownlets, the jots and the tittles above the letters, they too are replete with all sorts of secrets. And there's going to be one great sage in many generations. And his name is Rabbi Akiva. And he's going to derive and deduce piles and piles of laws from every little crownlet above the letters of the Torah. It's all there. You need to study all of the oral Torah in order to actually know what's featured in the written Torah itself. Now, I would advise, if you've never read or seen this commentary, there is a commentary called the Baal HaTurim, authored by Rabbi Yaakov. Great first name, of course. Baal HaTurim, the author of the Turim. The word Tur means a column or a pillar. Turim means columns or pillars. And this great sage of the medieval ever, he's the son of the Rush, featured in the back of every book of Talmud. And he wrote one of the greatest works of Halacha, known as the four Turim, the four pillars, the four different general categories of Jewish law. And he also wrote a book as a commentary on the Torah. And according to our tradition, he wrote it in one night, (laughs) just in one night. And this is just an incredible work on the Torah because it's very short, very, very terse comments on the Torah. And what it does is it displays, it shows how hinted to in the actual words of Scripture, are all the secrets of the Oral Torah. And it's it's hidden to do in gematrias, with all manner of embedding 
in the actual words, acronyms, etc., all sorts of subtleties and ways that the oral Torah is interlaced and interwoven in the written Torah. And I would recommend to read this. And there are thousands of examples, literally in, in every verse in Scripture, you'll have some sort of mind-bending teaching where he shows how somehow hinted to in the actual verse in Scripture are all the secrets featured in the oral Torah. And I think that there's really no way to study this commentary and to come with any other conclusion aside from the fact that the Torah is divine. It's just so obvious. It's obvious, of course, for many reasons. But to see the, the, the symmetry and the synergy between the written Torah and the oral Torah and to study the written Torah with an understanding of all the deeper layers that are featured in the oral Torah and going back to the oral Torah and saying, okay, this all is rooted in the written Torah. That is a wonderful experience that is quite elevating. Now, there's an incredible teaching in the Talmud that further reinforces this principle that when it says that we have to study scripture, it doesn't mean just to read it, peruse it, have a cursory overview. It means to really absorb it into your bones so you know backwards and forwards. The Talmud is telling us, this is in the book of Brachos, page 61a, that Manoach, the father of the great judge Samson, he was an ignoramus. He was so ignorant in matters of Torah, even things that small school children know, he was ignorant about. And how do we know that? Because the verse tells us in the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 11, that Manoach was walking behind his wife. And he doesn't know that Scripture says it so plainly, that the man is supposed to walk in front of the woman, not behind her. It's not appropriate for a man to walk behind a woman and to potentially ogle at her. And it's so obvious that that's what the Torah wants of us. It's just featured plainly in Scripture. Now, if I were to ask people who are putative uh, experts in Scripture, where, where in the Torah does it say that a man should not walk behind a woman? And even if you really <laughs> you have a good command of Torah, it would be very hard for you to remember where it says that because it's not immediately obvious. But the Talmud explains that it actually is. In chapter 24 of Genesis, we have some extra words, some unnecessary superfluous words in the verse. The verse tells us that Rebecca and her maidens, they went after the man. Now, why does the Torah need to give us this unnecessary narrative that when Rebecca, traveling back to meet Isaac, and traveling with the man, with Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, 
Why does it have to give us the extra words that she went after the man? What if the man went after her? What difference does it make? From the fact that the Torah tells us these few extra words, these few extra letters that she went after the man and not vice versa, that is plainly featured in Scripture that a man should not walk behind a woman. And Manoach, who walked behind a woman, well, he made that mistake, and the Torah can say, the Talmud can say, that he was ignorant. Even things that school children, school children, they know Scripture, and he must have not even known Scripture. And I think if we asked a hundred people who are experts in Scripture, where is this feature in Scripture, they wouldn't know. And that's because our standards of the study of Scripture are much lower. But here we get a sense of the depth that the Torah has, or the, the standards the Torah has of what it means to study Scripture. It means to study it with such profound depth that you really absorb into your bones every word, every letter, every jot and tittle of Scripture. This is, after all, the literal Word of God. And of course, if you study the Word of God with such commitment and such dedication in the way prescribed by our sages, doing that, of course, will elevate your intelligence, will elevate your experience of study, and we can see how such a form of study will pave the path, will prime you in your pursuit, in your journey of wisdom. This is way number 14, Bimikra, with the study of Scripture. I thank you for listening. As always, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. And I'm coming to you from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. And this was a delight, and this was enjoyable. And I hope to hear from you, rabbiwalby at gmail.com.